Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Kiss Me, I'm Psychic. I am your host, Christine Corda, psychic medium from Waterbury, Connecticut. Back again for more psychic inspiration and, in many cases, consternation. I really hope that everybody had a wonderful Halloween. I had a blast at the Howling Howling Hughes, Howling Screams haunted house. Uh, My daughter and I enjoyed getting scared witless while wandering the basement of the old Howland Hughes building on Bank Street. Um, And you know what? I hope that everybody voted. I voted last Tuesday, and I felt frustrated, but afterwards very empowered and very, very relieved that those constant and extremely annoying commercials the politicians put on are now over. Finally, I can watch TV with no fear. (laughs) In Bridgeport, Connecticut not that far from us, there was a bit of a snafu. Dan Malloy and Tom Foley, who are both running for governor, seem to have mixed feelings on who won, and for good reason. Bridgeport didn't order enough ballots. So it's a good thing we put it in their hands. So Dan Malloy is proclaiming victory, and Tom Foley is getting ready to challenge the votes, uh, which I support 100%. So we're going to wait and see what happens. Never a dull moment in politics. I'm going to introduce you now to my co-host, Dale Reeves, who's going to bring Sexy back as soon as he finds the receipt. How you doing, Dale? Good, Chris. How are you tonight? I'm really good. Good to hear from you. (laughs) Um, Did you vote Tuesday? Yes, I did. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because you know what? I, I really wish they would bring that, that those those old voting booths back with the curtain and everything. No lever style, yeah. I don't like this paper form. I, I was standing there having a conversation with this woman next to me, and she was looking over my voting ballot, and I'm like, hey, I feel like I was back in school taking the Iowa test. Yeah. Well, but, at least we didn't have to vote in Bridgeport, that's for sure. Oh, Lord, they were mad. I, I don't blame them. I don't blame, you know, just... uh just a funny thing that we've gotten into. You know, I, I've had it completely disgusted, just about pretty pretty much completely disgusted with the whole political world as it is anyway. You know, here's a thought, and I'll share, because that's what I do, I share. I get the New York Daily News daily. <laughs> I don't get the, you know, every once in a while I buy the Waterbury paper, but I like New York News because, it's quite honestly, it's fun to read. Not that Waterbury doesn't have its own... Uh, on politics. The other day, one of the headlines said, vote the weasels out. And I thought to myself, my gosh, isn't it sad how people who are described as weasels get into our political systems in the first place? I mean, yeah, we vote for them. We vote them in. But in my opinion, we vote basically based on very little information that we get from these politicians. For one thing, they lie or wait. How do we say it in Connecticut? They misspeak and they attack all the other politicians, which is basically all that they do. And I, for one, am getting pretty darn sick of lies and we hear more of their lies than their truths. I want to hear about what they do, uh, not what the other guy did, but what they've done, what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, et cetera, et cetera. So my message tonight is vote, people. you got to vote. You know, and not only vote, but read about the politicians, read about what they have done, 
what they've voted for, what their stances have been on issues that, you know, mean a lot to you personally. Uh, we really need to take back this country state by state and hold them accountable for their actions, you know. Um, I wish that we could raise the bar on the run, on, I'm sorry, on how they run, you know, and take away their habit of bashing each other and just make them talk only about what they have done, and that would be extremely interesting to see. Because as far as I'm concerned, we don't need any weasels in, in office. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, you know, you, again, you know, people, blind people vote, vote these weasels, keep both these weasels back in. Yeah, but psychically, it's not really fun to be around weasels. You know, and they have very a lot of many politicians. We went to, we went to that parade three three weeks ago or whatever it was. I can't even, and you can everyone can laugh and call me names or whatever. But I, there's very hard for me to get around certain people. They fall into right. that category, you know. Oh yeah. And I think that after a while, people get into no. I know that after a while, people get into a, a position of power, and you know we become faceless. You know our struggles for living paycheck to paycheck and should we buy milk or should we buy toilet paper, yeah, they don't mean anything to them. And no. I, I'm just saying that I think we should really get out there and get involved and not give up, not feel like we're powerless because we do have a lot of power. You know, I don't mean it in a bad way, but I mean just by speaking up and and just, you know, taking back things that are ours anyway. Instead of voting people in to fix mistakes, that they're the only ones who made the mistakes to begin with, right, Dale? Absolutely. Just, I mean, we don't know. we don't overspend the, the, on the budget. We don't go over the budget. We don't raise the taxes. We don't, you know, cause job loss or foreclosures. And, and these people, they run, they get in there, they mess up, and then they say, "Oh, if you vote for me, I'm going to fix up all the mistakes." But they're the ones who made the mistakes. So what are we I, voting? Of course, they are. I don't know. It's anyway, I have a few announcements, and then we will get to our guest. I'm so excited. We have John Temporelli on tonight, and he's waiting in the wings patiently, and I have been one of his supporters for several years now, anyway. Time flies, though. But um, And I, I'm excited that he's here. Next week, November 14th, we're going to have Keith Johnson. Keith Johnson is an author, the author of two books, Paranormal Realities 1 and Paranormal Realities 2. He has a sequel. And he is a demonologist who is known over. He was an original member on TAPS, appearing on several episodes of Ghost Hunters on Sci-Fi Channel, as well as on A&E's Paranormal State. He will be here with us via the phone, talking about some of his experiences, his knowledge, his wisdom, and et cetera, et cetera. So make sure to tune in next week for that wonderful show. Uh, if there was any ever anyone who knows his stuff on paranormal and demonology, it's Keith Johnson. And hopefully his lovely and just as brilliant wife, Sandra Johnson, will be here, will be able to stop by as well. Um, another thing I want to mention to you guys, go, you know the show Ghost Lab? Um Ghost Lab, which is a really popular, popular show on Discovery Channel. There's so many of them. How do you tell them apart? But actually, they're easy to tell apart because uh, they, they work with the group um, Everyday Paranormal. They're right. an investigative team, I believe, they're in Pennsylvania. And they just uh, 
learned that they've been moved to very, very late, very, very strange, uh, strangely moved to a 2 a.m. Um, so, I, you know, I guess that's, they're taking that as a uh, lead up to being canceled. So if you're a fan of the show, and I am a fan of the show, it's a very good show, it's very well done as far as I'm concerned, please write with your concerns to watch this, www.corporate.discovery.com forward slash contact forward slash viewer slash relations. If you can't get that, just go to Discovery Channel and you will be able to find a, a contact sheet. You know, it's nice to see the better shows stay on. Um, and I really do like this show. But with TV, it's really more about the money that the corporates want and thinking they can make than maybe the quality. I don't know. I'm kind of iffy on the whole television paranormal thing anyway. Um, I think the, the television sensationalizes too much. Okay, I guess then. You <laughs> made it out there. No, you're right. They do. That, that's what it's all about. You know, the TV. It's, it's about the money. Mm. Yeah, but these guys are good, and and it's sad because you know you want to see people doing things that are that are based in in science, and you know they're they're legitimate. They're not running around screaming, and you know it's nice to watch people throw mar- marbles at each other and scream, but. Uh, you know, after a while, you want to see something intelligent, and it, it, yeah, you just get into that old TV thing, and it's weird. But um, I have an ongoing developmental circle. Speaking of television, not really, but it's a good segue. And uh, this is weekly, as well as a gallery reading, and this goes on every week. So if you go on over to my website, peacefulreadings.com, you can get all the details there. I have a group on Facebook called Psychic Chat, if you'd like to join. I have a lot of new members on there. Uh, that's where you can find our schedule for Kiss Me, I'm Psychic, and you can have all sorts of interesting chats. Post your pictures. I have a couple pictures on there that we took. Um, and for questions, comments, or to request a reading, please e- email me at any time at christinecorda at live.com. Without further ado, tonight our guest is John Temporelli. He is the author of Heaven, Can You Hear Me?, which is a biography of Peter James. Peter James was the renowned psychic who was seen for years on the TV show Sightings, as well as other things. Um, He hosted a ghost tour on the Queen Mary and made many, many contacts uh, for many years with the spirits that are there. John was a friend of Peter's. I, I keep wanting to say John because I want to be all European. And it's actually John, um, and he was a friend of Peter's. And he himself has done a lot in the paranormal community, um, but he's also done a lot to keep Peter's memory alive and well-respected. And I, for one, was a huge fan of Peter's. And as I am an, I'm a huge fan of John's. So call in with your comments or questions, 347-637-1441. John Temporelli, welcome. It's so nice to finally get to talk to you. No, it's great to finally talk to you. I mean, as as I mentioned just before the uh, show, that you've always been there since like week one of when I first started to post, uh, you know, the MySpace for the request of uh, Peter's family and uh, the book publishing CEO to really, um, I, I thought the book was coming out much later, but that was simply just a pub date. 
and they had very little to correct from uh, the writing of the book, uh, the editors, that they uh, said, oh, let's have this out by Halloween. So it left me scrambling to put out, you know, the dedicated tribute MySpace since, you know, Peter had passed away while uh, composing the book. Um, you were one of the first people there that just like, it's almost like if you build it, they'll come. And everybody just started showing up in numbers and, and really finding the site. And I was, I was glad to have that happen. Yeah, well, you, you, you're just a nice guy and you can tell that. And I, I can pick up on that. And I, I appreciated what you were doing because a lot of people don't do that. You know, people die and they and they just uh, they forget. And his work was very important, as far as I'm concerned, as a psychic. He was legitimate, and he was caring. And um, let me ask you, how how did you come to meet Peter James? Well, my wife and I, 18 years ago, that was our Friday night, was watching sightings, followed by a new show at the time called The X Files. So I mean, that we were into the conspiracy theories, anything, anything paranormal. I mean, Bigfoot, Loch Ness monsters, certainly ghosts, and then. When Peter James was the weekly psychic correspondent for sightings, I mean, all the other things really got dropped, and it just became, you know, ghost investigations and paranormal research, where um, you just, yeah, you just tuned in to see Peter in action because he was the real deal, and you could tell. I mean, there have been a lot of psychics around that same time frame, but nobody quite did what Peter did or do the communicative uh, uh, aspect. You know, a lot, there was a lot of uh, parapsychology, scientific, but the communication, the active... Uh, where we got the vocalized communication with Jackie aboard the Queen Mary or the Sally's House investigation with the, the violent activity with the uh, the young girl Sally, he was a, a fresh light to see, uh, especially during that time frame where it, it wasn't he wasn't all about the flash or the persona or being a paranormal rock star. He was just simply someone that liked to communicate with spirits and as well the families that went through the uh, haunting activity that really made them feel comfortable and at ease with what the activity was long after the I found out later too and it as he reveals in his book that uh, even after the cameras were off he stayed around with the families and at no charge to them and just made sure that uh, they understood what was happening in the afterlife what the activity was how to coexist or clear the home and he wouldn't leave until it was done so that that's something refreshing as well and pioneering yeah yeah well that, that's the thing. He was he was very down to earth. He was very accessible, and I recall watching him on. Uh, oh, I, I don't remember. I don't. I don't really want to say what show it was, but I remember he took these investigators down to the pool area, and you know they were just sort of like standing there, kind of with their mouths open, and he was very calmly talking, and he was saying hello, Jackie, and he was sick. They filmed it for a TV show. Are you there? Can you talk to me, please? And he was very nice. He was very didn't yell, didn't scream, didn't threaten. And you hear this little girl's voice. I got chills just now sitting here thinking of it. And he said hello, and she said hello like this back. And I, I thought, oh my! And the investigators who were supposedly these seasoned investigators kind of like backed up, and they were like, oh my god, you know. But he right. really did. He was just so human with people, with the spirit. You know, he never threaten them or provoke them to something that I don't uh, I don't really believe in that at all. No, and as he mentions throughout it, and a theme within his book is as in life, so in death. These are people just like you and me. Some are confused in that transition into the afterlife. So as as Peter explains, it's that, you know, you have to deal with these people accordingly, and, and rule number one for him was communication, communication, communication. They may be territorial and just confused by the transition into afterlife where it'd be like if we were sitting on a couch and someone walked in your living room and just sat in your lap, you would react. So 
that was a majority of the violent or uh, combative uh, elements. There were the other ones that if a person had a hatred towards women or a bigot, bigotry of some type, that, uh, yeah, they carried that with them. And those were some of the more extreme cases that Peter dealt with. But uh, for the most part, ghosts were his friends, and that was something very important that he, he passed on to me on the final evening to carry out throughout the theme of the book. And um, uh, just really emphasizes that, yeah, ghosts are his friends. Uh, when he was five years old, he developed a childhood ability with childhood playmate ghosts. And so he wants to take that stigma and that fear out of the, commu- the paranormal community, the combativeness and things that he'd seen go on just before his death in July of 2007. But to back up as well, that's how my wife and I met him. We took his paranormal tour aboard the Queen Mary and as you said, it, um, it, he just had a warm nature to him, very generous, gracious, and he made everybody feel a part of the group. He wasn't like a celebrity that comes out, says a few words, and then here's the, my assistant or, or, you know, here's your guide, and they're going to take you through the rest of the ship. He was a part of every aspect of it, made sure everybody was comfortable in knowing uh, uh, questions relating to the afterlife. Like me as a layperson, I, I noticed another person on the tour group, he really helped her uh, through dealing with uh, uh, the passing of her sister that happened just two months before the tour and just really extended himself in that regard. So I was just fortunate enough, and my wife and I too, and daughter, to just really meet Peter. And unfortunately, it was just before his passing. Uh, yeah, I remember when I heard that he died, I was I was just so upset. Um, but, let's, let, you know, I'm sure he's, if anybody trans, transitioned well, it would be him. Now, was right. he... Was the uh, he, did he did he live on the ghost uh, did he live on the ghost Mary was that did he live on the Queen Mary was he actually lived there or did he, just he actually walk- did reside there for a, a five year period during the mid nineties and uh, well and it actually too had carte blanche of the ship so he was allowed to just stay on the ship and you know he had his his uh, he had a very modest apartment in uh, in Los Angeles too and that's he wasn't the person with the pulled back face and, you know, the jewel cape and everything, you know, he was just a very simple person. Uh, his managers and everybody just really couldn't stand the fact that he just didn't charge people or do all the other things that were sensational, and that wasn't Peter, and he refused to do some of these other things that producers would try to egg him on and doing, and and uh, he was just a very simple person and wanted everybody to know what the afterlife was like, and that's what really carried his persona, is that he was so different and just very human, as you say, and down to earth. But yeah, the the ship he um, he actually had Jackie speak for twenty five executives aboard the Queen Mary, and they instantly said, "Yes, you you can found these tours here on the Queen Mary." And he started to do that in nineteen ninety one. So that was yeah. something that Peter did was introduce the ghost world to people that typically didn't want that a part of the ship or part of the attraction, but they saw, look, Peter's the person we can trust with to do this tour. And we feel confident it'll be successful, and it, it was—it's still to this day widely successful aboard the ship. Yeah. Well, can I ask you? Were there any? Are, do you have any theories, or did Peter hold any theories? And and your opinion is just as important to me. Why they're 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 on the ship still uh, lingering there? Yeah, as, as Peter describes throughout the book, and and he kind of correlates through some of his other famed investigative investigative work, which is uh, Ghost Rider haunting with the Polaroids that had the writing on the Polaroids, or Heartland Ghost Sally's House. There, there's just been numerous ones, and um, 
Uh, yeah, he comes back to the fact that about the Queen Mary, there have been so many tragic deaths. He believes it's the most haunted location in the world, and then he points out that now he believes free-floating over the area of the World Trade Center site would pr probably be now the most active location in the world. But the Queen Mary, he believed, had over 600 resident active ghosts uh, during a Middle Eastern crossing. Uh, there were temperatures that reached around... Um, uh, uh, 1400 or uh, 1400. I mean, 100, 114 degrees, and uh, yeah, there were there was it was overpacked with uh, servicemen at the time, and uh, yeah, it was meant to house 8,000. They had 17,000 aboard, and many died from heat prostration. Uh, the Queen Mary cut the Coruscant and have that which an escort ship. And uh, they had strict orders to continue moving, and so yeah, there were over 200 that perished in that. Uh, um, collision. Uh, there was uh, other odd deaths of uh, during a drill door number 13 with a, <clears throat> a a door, just a simple drill during a fire assignment. Uh, John Petter was actually killed in that doorway and just crushed. Uh, there was a uh, first officer Stark, or actually second officer Stark, that actually drank it. Uh, so he thought he had his gin out, but he drank some strychnine by mistake and died oh. over a three-day period. And so there have been some odd deaths of that type, and he feels that that's why they do remain. Wow. Now, you're, you're oh, I'm getting a bad echo here. Now, you're on the ship as well, because I've gone through your pictures, and you've got a lot of really incredible pictures from there. Um, do you live on the ship, or do you just, are you affiliated with it now yourself? No, I just simply live too close to the ship. <laughs> you know, my wife and I, my, our daughter, you know, she's drawn to the ship as well, because Peter made her part of his final tour, and he let her call out to Jackie, and it was just, he just had that warm, generous nature, and if he felt that the ship was okay for her, that's the place we'll go to. I've been on other investigations since by default of just, you know, working on uh, Peter's book, and he was just so highly regarded in the field that we've done overnights on Alcatraz and, and Linda Vista Hospital and various other locations, but we won't take our daughter to those areas, so that's a place that we go to quite a bit. We live four miles from the ship, so it's just, again, too close, and we just love to go there, even if we just walk the decks. But if we certainly walk into the uh, uh, the director, Will Kane, of the ship, he uh, allowed us to take images for Peter's book of our daughter portraying Jackie around the pool area and various other uh, images. So when we see him, he's like, yeah, come on, I'll let you in the pool area and let's go look around and that kind of thing. So, I mean, he was very fond of Peter, as everybody is aboard the ship still to this day. He he just he resonated that well around the ship that, you know, we're we're certainly welcome there anytime, and we love going there. Yeah. Now let me ask you, this Jackie, this little girl Jackie, has anyone ever um, uh, verified who she was by name? Yeah, there's nothing in record, but there are a lot of. Um, Undocumented deaths aboard the ship. There were some burial at seas, uh, stowaway listings of deaths, and and if you go to the very aft end, the infirmary, it lists a lot of those deaths, and then it shows causes. Some were undetermined. The name was undetermined. Um, Peter felt that she actually passed away in the second class swimming pool, but preferred the grandeur and the splendor of the first class swimming pool. So when he first initially communicated with her, it was in the Royal Theater that was at the one time the second class swimming pool. And he kept saying to the guards, "She wants to. She wants to see me at the other pool. She doesn't want to, you know, me to meet her here. She, you know, she wanted to really show him the other pool. He, he didn't get that because he's standing in a theater. And they they said, well, yeah, one time this was a second class swimming pool, and it wasn't until that 
initial move to go to the first class swimming pool that she became very, you know, just vocal and what you that fame investigative footage of Peter just singing with her and talking with her out loud. And actually too I have um that night I know you have some uh EVPs that we recently captured last year, but uh in the chat room I'm posting uh, the dedicated tribute site and that's myspace.com forward slash Peter James lives. And it's it's been a great tribute site for fans and of course you were there in the beginning and just leaving outpourings and, and viewing that early footage that the family, you know, had graciously let me use for uh, putting on the tribute site as well. So it's been a good, all-encompassing way for fans to get together, see Peter again, hear his voice again, and to see that footage where Jackie's talking to him. And, I'm, I mean, we've been there since. I didn't think I'd be doing this three years ago as co-authoring a book with a legend like Peter, but to be able to go to the ship hear that voice and, you know, have other experiences as well. And her voice hasn't changed in nearly 20 years when he, uh, you know, first had that vocalized communication in April of 1991. Yeah, I, I apologize. I cannot get into chat. I don't know why. I've tried several times and it's just, uh, it's not connecting. So forgive me. I don't know how many people are in there. Um, but, yeah, have you ever, you've heard her, right? Obviously you've heard her. Um, have you have any of you ever seen anything there, like an apparition or, you know, somebody um, running around? Race, recently, and I'm not sure, I, I don't think I've posted on uh, Peter's Tribute MySpace, but on my Facebook I posted one that I was doing an interview with Cal State Radio locally here in Long Beach, and uh, the, the host really wanted to see the ship. So we went to the ship, and then on B-Deck, just in the hallways, we had some activity with the monitors and... And uh, I started to kind of give chase to this cold spot and, and K2 spikes that were in the middle of the hall, not down low, not up high, not along the walls, but just along the middle and just slowly following what this was with a millimeter. And I had my arm inside of what I felt it was, a really cold spot. And so one of the radio hosts at the other end just took a picture of me down the hall, just kind of leading forward and seeing what it was oh. and if they felt... And, yeah, there's a dark shadow all over the side of me. <laughs> you know, it's kind of unexplainable. And, and the other picture, but I don't think it's the Queen Mary, the other picture in the prison with the figure. Oh, boy. That's a pretty... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was at Alcatraz, and no one was down that hallway. The two uh, rangers were real careful to keep all of us back, and I just kind of snapped a picture over their head because they wanted to address everybody, tell us what we were going to be walking ahead to. And, yeah, that looks like a, a figure with, you know, distorted legs, uh, undressed upper torso, and just kind of looking down and distant, you know? And Yeah, the, the shape of that man or a per person, I would say, man, is too distorted to be a, a, real, a real human being, That's definitely. I, I, you know, you, you can all find those pictures on the MySpace page that um, John has posted in chat, uh, and it's myspace.com slash Lives. And you go over there and you can find um, uh, links to videos that Peter had done or they filmed him for and those pictures as well. And you also, are, you're on Facebook, obviously. Right, right. I, 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 I'm trying to think what the actual uh, login I have there is. But, yeah, it's just a personal one, but it has images and things from personal investigations. And, um, yeah, it's I believe it's just John Temporelli after the uh, Facebook forward slash, so. Yeah, I, I don't do the MySpace anymore. I tried to go back again this year a couple months ago, and I, I found it too spamish. 
Right. I'm trying to think who still is. You know? But uh, I don't know. As it being a tribute for Peter, it's been perfect. So. Yeah. Well, that's true too. Um, number to call in, please call in with your questions, comments to John, three four seven six three seven one four four one. And I want to mention. And I mentioned the address that people can call. Uh, you can order autographed copies of Heaven Can You Hear Me, not by Peter James, but by J- John Temporally. Uh, if you send a check for $22, and that includes tax and shipping, and you write to John, G-I-A-N, Temporally, T-E-M-P-E-R-I-L-L-I, 3718 Albury Avenue, A-L-B-U-R-Y, in Long Beach, California, 90808. And that would be awesome because you'll love the book. And um, I have to order one of those. I really do. Um, And then we'll... Yes, what? Oh, no, I was just going to say, oh, no, that's great. No, I'm I'm glad you get to see Peter's words and everything, too. So it's just, I don't know why, but people sometimes request that, hey, can you go to the pool area and sign a copy of the book for me and things like that. And I'm like, well, okay, you know, live close, go down there on one of those days. And and I, I don't know why they really want mine, but, you know, it's just like, yeah, I'll do that for people. And, and my daughter signs it as well as uh, Jackie um, because she portrays Jackie in the book and enjoys doing that with me at signings and things too. So. Yeah, I don't know why anyone would want to do that. I don't know that I could actually go into the Queen Mary. I don't have the... I'm not as I'm not as strong, I guess, as, as other psychics are, but I think that would probably overwhelm me. There's well, it's a got a really of... warm feel to it. It's just got that nostalgia to it. There, there's like a warm, uplifting feeling when you are there. It is something that you are drawn to and to come back to because, yeah, it was a luxury liner for a long time, or we're servicemen, we're, but you don't get a foreboding thing like you do at some of these hospitals and places we've um, investigated where, yeah, you can kind of, have that forlorn sense that wow, okay, I'm going to get touched, you know, and or anything. And the Queen Mary just doesn't have that. It has like that real nostalgic, like you you feel like you're taking a voyage for the first time. But you know, um, there's been a theory going around because uh, we used to go around into the dressing rooms, and our daughter recently doesn't want to go in there, but like you know, enjoys the other portions of the ship. But there's so many ghost hunters that were just at Waverly Hills or you know, Wolf Manor that come to the Queen Mary the weekend after, they may not have properly left some, something behind and have brought it, cross-contaminated it with the Queen Mary. That's just a theory going around that there's some new kind of activity that doesn't seem like what used to be there. i I got to agree with you, and I posted that on your, your face, the picture on the face, or some picture, I think. I can't remember. I don't know if it was a picture of a ghost or anything, but I agree with you on that because I, I really think that that can happen. I think that people don't properly cleanse themselves or cleanse the area. And I really do think that if something attaches itself to you, you go somewhere else where there's the energy that you can, however it works, um, people can uh, bring something with them and it will, you know, jump off and say, hey, I like here. Yeah, it might not even necessarily be a seasoned investigator. It could be a weekend warrior or somebody visiting the ship that was just somewhere else and they're just hitting all the paranormal hot spots and then, they don't know how to properly leave something behind and they're bringing something with them. And, you know, we know from other experts in the field what to really say out in the parking lot to make sure no one's following you home and, you know, and to really be empowered on the inside, not just projected outwardly, but you have to, they can sense on the inside your intentions and know not to really follow you. It's like, yeah, okay, this person 
means it because I feel they mean it as well as them verbally telling me. Yeah, and I think a lot of people poo-poo the idea of it, and they're they're more into you know the the excitement of it, and the and it, it's it's not too good. That's not a good aspect of it. I I really would like to see that change, but huh, I'm getting old, and I think that's part of it. But you know, people just kind of take things a little too lightly, you know. Right. Well, I know at, at my daughter's age, even three years ago, I, she's 11 now, but at that age, you couldn't have got me to go down to the dark parts of the ship in the middle of the night with just a small group of people. And, you know, but she's, it's because of Peter and because of her knowledge, it's almost like a new way of looking at sharks when you're used to growing up watching Jaws or something. You know, yeah, you still don't get out of the cage or swim around with sharks, but she that doesn't be- have that sting or fear. <laughs> That would be me. I I'm, I'm, I still intend to sue Steven Spielberg. I am so scared to go in the water. Even in Connecticut, I'm like, oh, my God. What I hear that music play, you know. But I think that's the point, John. You know, when you have somebody that's setting an example and they're, they're showing you that it's not scary, per se, um, and how to protect yourself, that I think that people can really learn how to get in contact with the spiritual realm in a healthy way, you know, and not be over-Christianized or, you know, feel like it's demonic or whatever, but just to very very simply say, okay, these people have passed on, they need help, let's just be good human beings and help them. And and that's really great that your daughter, at, at her age, has learned that. That's probably something that, you know, a lot of kids could learn at this point in time, you know? Well, that's, that's exactly what a, a Peter just out in the book or as he would talk to you and just let you know about the afterlife is all the various archetypes and what is actually out there and he does he does not believe in the demons he's been on uh, various investigations and points out why he preferred to work alone and that was because when he was with priests or shamans and and uh, they would say okay I, there's a winged gargoyle at the other end of the your home and you need to move out and all he would see the person at the other end of the room, but, you know, where's that, you know, crawling creature, the winged dog, or, you know, what they come up with is demonic or a demon, Peter says, is just an outward expression of something very empowering that's projecting onto you. Look, I'm I'm not to be messed with, and I can seem like I'm 29 feet tall, when really I, I'm forcing on my nature for you to just back off, take a step back, and start talking to me first, and... That's what he would do. If if it was Sarah Bor, the Queen Mary, that's very protective of Jackie, or when Sally was uh, burning, pushing, slapping him, he would simply back up a few steps and begin his communication process over, and gradually he would warm up to these entities. Yeah, the psychology of it. It was, it was a good psychology he had with them. You know? Right, right. And, and you, you see it getting lost, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think that when you, you know, when it used to happen to me for years, I would get a sense of something around, and in my head automatically would be like, oh, oh it must be, you know, demonic, because, uh, God forbid, I have this ability, it's definitely not, because that was drummed into my head for so long that I automatically went to, it must be something that's not human. And, and a lot of times human spirits can be very, very nasty, and they can carry with them a very nastiness and... um there's, there's a big difference. There's a big difference in, in a human spirit being nasty and an actual demonic spirit. Um, right. You know, and most people, 99% of people, unless they're just, like, completely insane, would be able to tell the difference. Right. You know? And as 
as you're pointing out, and that's how Peter breaks it down in the book too, 99% of the ghosts that he would actively engage in and communicate with died tragically or untimely. And, yeah, certainly, um, you know, confused by that transition into afterlife. And even a smaller percentage, you would say, you know, maybe 10% of those are the ones that are violently acting out. The other ones either have a message to get to you from a loved one, but then on those those special where he specialized in was dealing with the negative haunting activity, the other 10% of the ghosts he communicated with, those were the ones with the, the hatred or, you know, towards women or child abusers or things of that type. So it's it's just who they were in life, that's who they are in death, and he really had to get on their case. You know, that's where you really saw a different side of Peter come out was when he dealt with those type entities. It wasn't confrontational, but certainly his his vocal prowess of how he typically just communicates and warmly got a little bit firmer and just let people know you're, you're not going to be here anymore, you're going to leave these people alone and... You know, it changed the direction of his tone, but he would just simply let him know. Yeah, and 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 I think you're you you learned from one of the best. So you're you're probably your investigations. <clears throat> excuse me, your investigations are going to be, you know, some of the better ones. I've I've noticed that you've come, uh, and I'm very glad, by the way, that you've become very fairly well known in the paranormal field yourself. And I'm glad for that because you, you are a decent person and you do seem to know what you're, you obviously know what you're talking about, but you also have that little extra, uh, you know, compassionate humanness that we all need in the, in this field. Um, do you have some activity that occurred? Uh, was it shortly? I know I read about it. Was it shortly after Peter died? Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, and it was primarily my daughter experiencing it, and then I mean I was the one that was skeptical. I know. Peter had a parent that raised him, his mom, that, uh, you know, just really um, was abusive towards him when he said he had these childhood playmates. You know, I'm not like that, or my wife, you know, we're always supportive, but I just thought, is there any coincidence that I co-authored this book with Peter, now she's seeing ghosts in our home. And then what she was describing and, and how the person was dressed, two weeks later our niece was out from spring break from Chicago, and while she stayed in the same room, it didn't know about any of this, said there was a guy in white T-shirt and blue jeans, and we're just like, that's exactly what Sophia said in the exact same place she described him. And there were two parts of our home that uh, we had this little Boston Terrier pug mix that would run to these two parts of the home out of nowhere. We'd always been fine in the home for the last 14 years. We'd just start barking uncontrollably at nothing. And then, you know, doing radio shows with other psychics, um, we had psychics out to the house that told us the exact places everything was happening before I even posted anything about the activity. Um, you know, I just, it was a sidebar thing when they were out to do an interview. Uh, they said, well, certainly while I'm out here, I'll, I'll take a look at your home. And they don't tell me anything beforehand, but they nailed every place that we had the activity. And this was more than one person. So, I mean, it was just something like, wow, you know, why did this happen all of a sudden out of nowhere? But, uh, you know, the one really there's only me in the L.A. County corner that could know what happened in the house, and that was my adoptive father. Um, he passed away there, and he was under county care, but after he passed and we were allowed access to the house, there were transients living in the house. And um, he said one of the, this person is a tra- somebody that when your dad would come in the house would hide in this part of the house, and uh, he's not a good person. He described him as bad, and that was exactly what our daughters used the word bad to describe this person. And a totally separate psychic did the same. So it was. It really pointed out, okay, we didn't bring something back with us from somewhere. This was somebody that recently passed, 
within the 14 years of them being back in this home, and now they're back again, and now what do we do to get rid of them? So, you know, that's what I wrote about was all the steps that we did to really empower ourselves, uh, advice from others within the field, Mark and Debbie Constantino, Thomas Durant, and a lot of others that really let us know what to do to handle this and, and take the right approach. Yeah, that's great. Well, let, let's listen to, um, hopefully this will work. I, I brought them back up to 70%. I won't, hope I don't make anybody deaf with these. So we're going to listen to some EVP, and I'm going to pl- I'm going to play them twice, and then we're going to let everybody listen. So for all you listeners, put your, your put your you know listen carefully, um, and you can we can talk about it afterwards. I hope it works. <laughs> Again, now that's can everyone he, can you guys hear that okay? It might be yeah. just a little distorted in playback. So if people want to follow along at home too, it's I have them in the blog section. Uh, there's a dedicated one just of those Queen Mary EVPs, and they're through yeah. eSnip. So it might be a little clearer, but yeah, I, I mean I could I know them so I could hear them, but uh, yeah, my, if it's a little distorted, people could try them with headphones at home. Let me try it again at 25% because a couple they're very interesting. Now, John, let me ask you, is that the woman that we talked about before, before the show started, is that the same voice that I'm hearing? Yeah, there's me, uh, my wife, our daughter, our niece from Chicago, and one of my wife's uh, girlfriends. I was the only male in the room, and, um, you know, they they were just attentive and listening, but there's only one that asked questions in between there, and so her voice is distinguishable there, but it's the little child's voices that weren't Sophia's, and, um, you know, sound about five years old even, and just you could hear a pin drop when we were in the propeller room. And, and Psychic Mike Gloop, that's another place he captured EVPs that were very similar of Jackie, and he believes Captain Treasure Jones, is that it's, it is located directly outside the second-class swimming pool where Peter believed that Jackie drowned. And there's several voices that refer to Jackie by name, and two of those are male voices. One has an accent, but you hear this, Jackie, hold on, Jackie wants to speak with you. And then you hear a woman shriek, uh-huh. Jackie, and, you know, it's it's kind of chilling. I couldn't sleep the rest of the night after I first got home and listened to them. But... Yeah. yeah. Right, right Dale? I didn't hear you, Dale. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, yeah, there's also a voice that sounds like Peter that just before I say something says, speak to me, like that. And that was something Peter did quite often when he did communications on all his investigations. Would You would hear him say, speak to me, talk to me now, you know, but you hear this drawn out, speak to me, that's kind of resonating in there, and we couldn't hear it at the time. So let's go to that one. I I believe that this one's going to be the one that you're talking about. It'll, it doesn't, you know, we can't hear it, but I think it sounds better afterwards if you listen into the show. Um, I can't, still can't connect the chat. I am so sorry. All right, let's listen to that one. That was so fair. Daddy? 
that woman that just said Jackie? That's that's one of my wife's girlfriends. She was the only one doing the questioning besides me. So all the other little whispers and, and trills of little kids' voices in between that were she was that loud and I was that loud throughout, and it's all the other stuff in between that really, you know, it's kind of chilling. But, you know, you hear the Jackie, hold on, you know, and then you hear the speak to me, you know. and yeah. It's like it's like they're having a little party or something. I don't mean to sound funny. I'm not trying to be funny, but it's like they're all in, in the room there with you. Right. I've done sessions since where I, I don't have anything like that, but it is. It's it's something that uh, at the MySpace at the bottom of the blog, there's the entire, I believe, like two two uh, minutes, two minutes and 30 seconds of the entire piece where you don't have to just hear the EVP clips, but you can just play it. And, I mean, all the way throughout, even just before we start talking and asking questions, the voices are all there, and you can just pick out the parts where they're starting to pop up in between ours. And I've never had a session like that before or since either like that. That's um, that's, um, that's very, yeah, it's like a lot of different people talking. And, and again, yeah, go to MySpace or go to, what is it, eSnips? Yeah, eSnips.com, but, you know, I'm not sure how to find it there. It's just basically what I use to set up all the EVP clips to, you know, to post in the various parts of the blog. But the interesting thing was maybe the week and a half before we were there in that entire propeller room area, they had drained out of water, and they were doing maintenance on it. So then when we went back and then, okay, it's full of water, and we did that session, maybe it was the displacement is almost like when they – you know, remodel a home or something's been changed, it, it really activated, you know, the the activity or the vocalization that the salinity content brought back in from where they filled that entire shaft with water again may have yeah. elicited some of the activity. Could have been. Could have been. Well, we have a caller, a caller from area code 210. Hello, you're on the air. Well, Okay. Okay. Well, that was nice. So I'm going to play that one more time and um, just for everyone to listen to because I, I think it's fascinating. It kind of gives me the creeps, but I think it's fascinating too. That was so people in there talking. I don't know if I'm hearing something that, that's that's good only to me, but there's that woman is very distinct to me, that very whispery kind of woman's voice. Well, no, it is a woman's voice, but it's kind of whispery. Yeah, there's one that um, uh, almost sounds like a tour guide in there saying, like, we're under the first level. There's, like, weird things like that in there. It, like, mm-hmm. somebody's even walking through with a tour. I don't know what, but it's just there's so much going on at one time. Again, I've I've never had a session like that since where um even in that same location that's that's just has so much for it being so quiet with us at the time. Yeah, males, I mean, females, children, I mean all all types in there. To me as a psychic and I'm not trying to, you know, hang out my shingle or anything, but to me as a psychic it sounds like there's just and and I almost get a feeling of it, like there's a whole bunch of people there 
they're not unhappy, but they're just there, like almost totally surrounding. I don't know how to explain it because I can't see what's going on, but it's a very, very strong feeling. And that woman has the sense that I get from that woman, that voice I can clearly hear, is almost like a, a humor. She's like kind of sarcastic humor. Like she's a bit um, dry, like a dry humor. Like she would be, I don't know, I, I give me the. I don't want to say that it gives me the creeps, but it's very um, compelling. We have a call again. Forgive me, caller. Um, this phone system just does not want to work for me. We're going to try to get to caller area code 210 again. Uh, for questions or comments to John Temporelli, uh, please work. <laughs> Hello, caller. You are on the air again. Hello. Sorry about that. Many blessings to all. My name is Christina. How are you all doing this evening? Good. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Um, well, my question for this evening is, um, my guide, I don't know if she's correct or not, but I was told that I'm supposed to be, supposed to be a writer. And I want to know, am I, is she telling me the truth? Am I supposed to be writing, um, and what am I supposed to be writing about? I'm a little confused. Okay, well, tonight we have a... Uh, I missed the first part where she said, "Are you are you a psychic or?" Yeah. Okay. Good. No, 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 no. I'm I'm not a psychic, um, but I I communicate with my guide, my guide, and I uh, asked her, you know, what what type of career am I supposed to be doing? I just you know just started getting in tune with my guide, and I just keep on getting books, books, writing, writing. And I was like, okay, if I am I supposed to be a writer or is that just something else I'm supposed to be doing because I'm, I'm confused. Right. Well, th- I, I can certainly jump in and feel that. Um, the second book that I'm working on was actually one I was going to write before this book, and um, it was about my adoptive father and his tragic and untimely passing, but when meeting Peter and, and agreeing to do his allowed me to step back because, you know, I'd been putting it off because, you know, I have to look through Corner's reports and his old letters and things, and he was actually a paranoid schizophrenic. So he he guarded Pope Pius XII in the late 60s, and there was some there was nobody more devoutly Catholic. So for him to die tragically and untimely, I decided to write the book about an exploration into how somebody could pass away like that. But since, I've had other psychics that once the uh, the publishing house approved the second book, Within a week and a half of each other, five separate psychics all contacted me and said, your father's really excited about this other book, and I hadn't let anybody know. So just for that to happen was verification for me to keep writing or to really get to this and, you know, that they've let me know, too. Like, look, you've really been putting off this other book, whatever it's about. I mean, it got that specific. So, I mean, if if something, if some spirit guide or someone is just letting you know that you should write or write something, you know, uh, do, do you have any idea of what it's about or a connection with somebody or? No, and that's what I've been trying to figure out. What What is it that I'm supposed to be writing about? If, if indeed, if I am supposed to be writing, what is it that I am supposed to be writing about? Oh, maybe the mm-hmm. communication with this person. I know Peter James was, uh, that's what he mentioned in his book, unfortunately passed away, but he was, he did have a, 
spirit that he started befriending and really having long conversations with more than most that he could really communicate with about the afterlife. And he wanted to someday write about that or have video conversations with him where we could all experience and get those answers. So maybe it could possibly be your communication with your spirit guide. So that that would be fascinating to me, I know. So. Oh, okay, okay. But, yeah, it could mean something different for you that, like, the reason I had a psychic tell me you needed to do this first book before the second book for it to really get its true, you know, um, for it to really get recognized. So maybe it's something just in the time frame of you waiting that'll come to you. So. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, yeah, there's I nothing worse I've... than leaving something out when it's all done and you wish you could put it in there. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you all so much for taking my call. I truly do appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Tina, for calling. God bless. Okay, great answer, John. Um, I'm sorry about that first. They call up and then it, it just disappears. And thankfully she called back because that happened way too much. All right, well, yeah, I, I hope I answered it correctly. But it, it just kind of gave me the chills because I'm like, wow, I went through that same thing. And luckily I did put off what I did because it gives me the opportunity to really expand in the way I wanted to for this. So maybe that answer will come to her in that way. Well, I think it's a good answer, and I think sometimes people, you know, should should learn, you know, to if if we have a guide, and we all have guides, to listen to our guides is, is a very difficult thing to do because we're all very much wanting to be in control and be adult and all that, but sometimes we really need to just be quiet and listen and see what right. the thing is for us, right. you know. And the other thing, it has to come from you and from the heart. So, I mean, I, I think that's something, if she digs a little deeper, it, it'll start coming out. Wow, this is this is why and this is why I've been thinking so long is it's starting to reveal itself. And then, yeah, it's it's an important to just log all those things down. Um, I, I'm a firm advocate of everybody writing. So, I mean, just to really express yourself, have things out there, it's, you know, especially with this economy and all this stuff going on in the world, it's a good departure I've found, you know, to be able to do that. So I'd encourage everybody to do it in, in one form or another. Yeah, I do too. I love to write. I love to write. I haven't come out with my book yet, but I'm waiting. I actually, every day I, I write a little more, and then I say, okay, good. guy, tell me what, you know? Right, right. Hey, and eventually, you, before you know it, you're done, or you've gotten on such a roll that you've gotten three things chapters of it done where you're slowly going through one and so it 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 takes that you'll sensately know when it's right and when it happens but you you get that actual pattern or something that's like okay this has to happen now in that sequential order and everything yeah and also it, I, I don't believe in rushing you know i don't want to rush a book out because um i just became a little bit more public than i was for years um i don't want to do things for the wrong reason you know Right. Uh, telling a story is about someone is one thing, but the way the books that I want to write are not. I right. Yeah. yeah, I really like for something to really help other people or help other people relate. You know, I, I plan on exploring mental illness with, you know, uh, especially since capturing EVPs and various things. It's like, well, how much of some of this is mental illness or just synapse firing or electrical processes within the brain that's actually coming from 
you know, a voice that may not be there, but it could be something spiritual. So just exploring all the, you know, elements, is that's the part that I'm anxious to really want to get into but not rush because it may not make sense, you know, if I get too technical about it. So. Yeah, I, I don't even, I really don't even know. You you mean to say, um, run that by me again? In other words, if we capture an EVP, it's something from our minds or it's something from uh, a spirit uh, mind? Right, there's a, there's a lot of thoughts on that, that maybe it's not audibly when you hear something audible, like even Jackie in the pool area, but it's something electrically transmitted outward that the cameras and the uh, recorders are picking them up, and but Peter can hear them without it having to be an electrical process. He's, but is he hearing it, or is it something that his mind is just taking and transferring through electrical energy just into the mind as, a, as an electronic process? So. You know, it, you know, you like he may be wired a little different than me as a layperson, and it's how we've been taking this information and maybe science and doctors and giving it an answer rather than taking a look at it in a lot of different respects. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that people get all superstitious about being psychic, and I I believe that everyone is. I believe 100% that everyone is, and I think that somewhere along the line we lose it. Uh, or we lose our ability to use it, if you will, um, for whatever reason, whether it's society mostly, especially in America. You know, America has this society where there's very little um, belief in the spiritual. Right. Really We're so disjointed and distracted by everyday life and goals and things that, uh, yeah, um, some people are better in tune to really have that gift and, and uh had a little bit more of a, a daydream personality or whatever as a child and then developed it than other people that were more studious or just, you know, free thinking. And... Well, you mentioned that Peter James was abused, and I did not know this part of his life, and I'm so sorry about that. Um, and I think that, you know, I I was I came from a very abusive background as well, and I think that when, in my case and perhaps in his and, and many other people, I retained that ability in order to survive, in order to sense what was going... You know, you can never put your guard down when you're living in an abusive situation. So maybe that's just what, you know, why some people do have it to such an extent. Plus, I think you get a lot more compassion somehow when you go through, hard, you know, hard things like right. that. Right, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he actually developed a speech impediment problem from it at an early age because of that. And, uh, well, you know, she was a single mom and uh, worked two jobs and she thought he was playing this piano in the middle of the night when really it was a, a ghost playmate doing it and she would come in yelling and screaming and he can only stammer and reply so it took him a lot of years to really develop a, a proper speech and with the uh, vocal teachers that he discusses in the book as well to get that dramatic voice that he had that you could never tell he, this was a person that had a speaking problem because he did speak so well and, and uh, on those presentations but you know, as a mother that um, thought he was actually doing this, it, it probably back in the 50s or, you know, I'm not sure how Peter, how old Peter would have been at that time, but, you know, I can understand that she probably thought he's got a mental illness. At that time, there's an experimental medication, so she probably really, you know, was under a lot of stress with that and worry about having a child like that. Later on in life, he was able to prove it to her, and he went away for a weekend and his, to stay with his grandparents, and that piano kept playing. And that's where she got more questions and, you know, coming in and being, you know, combative and confrontational toward him instead was asking questions about what was going on. And he was later able to prove who perished in the fire in the home and 
and everything, and it brought the relationship closer. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Our number is 347 637-1441. 347-637-1441. And I want to play this last EVP because I don't want to say this one was my favorite, but this one I listened to a number of times, and I had uh, Dale listen to it as well. And this one just... um. This one just got me because it's very, very obvious that it's an intelligent answer. And just, just listen in. This is 50%. It should be should be pretty good. So listen carefully. Now, you can hear you say, I believe it's either you or someone else, um, This is it wasn't that weird. Right, right, in the reply. And the reply was, no, it's not. And it's almost like a laughing. Here, let's let's play it one more time. It is hard to hear through these, these uh, connections, but on the air it will come out better. Right. Yeah, you can hear her laughing, saying, no, it's not. That's also, I heard that shrill in there, that shriek of a woman that just goes, Jackie, like that, you know, just she shrieks it. And, and that was bone chilling, too. But yeah, I mean, to me, when I hear those and those male voices calling for Jackie or for us to pay attention, say, you know, Jackie, hold on, Jackie wants to speak with you. It was almost like they were bringing her forward, like, yeah, she wants to, she's here and wants to speak with you, like, yeah, hold on. And then for me to hear the name Jackie in there, that's all verification for me, for Peter. Because over the years, there were a lot of people saying that, oh, yeah, he hid a kid in a closet and, you know, in the pool area and, and oh. it was all staged. And, you know, there have been a lot of that kind of stuff. And, you know, for me personally and my wife and, and to capture that is like, wow, there's voices referring to Jackie by name, that same name Peter came up with. And this is like a year and a half after his, his passing. We caught that. So... For me, that was great verification. Other people have heard it since and have left posts all over the site. They just love seeing that too because it was so verifying for Peter. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why people persist in saying stuff like that. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, they on sightings. I remember there was one analyst, and he's like, "Well, I think maybe it was a ventriloquist, probably, or you know, he could have been, <laughs> you know." And it's just like you watch. You know, it's laughable when you watch it now, but it's like that's the kind of ridicule that he even writes about that he, he had over yeah. the years, any information that he gave people, he was reluctant to give because he wasn't even sure where the information was coming from or why he needed to give it to you, but almost like an itch he had to scratch. Well, I don't know why I need to tell you this, but this may mean something to you. And he, I mean, he was always right on, but he never even felt confident in the information he gave. So that that's always something that stood out as, like, unique in that, you know, he was like that and just – Look, I don't know why I need to tell you this. I got to tell you, but you know, it may not mean anything. He wasn't profiting on it. He didn't have psychic phone lines at two hundred and fifty dollars a minute. You know, so. Oh yeah, huh? Yeah, he didn't that's, have it. That's one of the signs, I think. That's one of the signs of of someone. And you know, not to begrudge anyone to make a living, but um, you know, you can tell. You can tell a. You yeah. tell a person the tree by the fruit, as they say. You know. Right, yeah, it was more important for him, you know, to just get that information out. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, that's why I've extended such a dedication, because he was a real deal, and that he passed away, and, and not a lot of people knew what happened to Peter since his passing, or that he passed away, you know. He just, 
it he didn't have his own show that just really carried through. It was almost like somebody you had in your back pocket. Like this was the psychic that I know is good, and you always knew he was around and, and witnessed him in action, but you didn't know anything about him. That's why I'm so dedicated to getting the book out there in the hands of his fans because I know what his intentions were. In the final meeting, I mean, he really, I don't know if he could tell he was going to pass away, but we met about how he wanted the book. He he was very specific. His, leave, his breathing was increasingly labored over the course of the evening because he did succumb to uh, respiratory problems. He battled with chronic bronchitis his whole life and asthma. And so he really stressed to me that he wanted this book to be his legacy. If it could help one child sleep better at night, it's all worth it to him. And that, you know, he wanted the result of the book to go to his niece and nephew, his family members, you know, and he really detailed out how he wanted the book broken down or to eventually uh, be, and then he went in the hospital a week later and never came out. So it was really a strong feeling for me to think this is a large responsibility for me, on, you know, first off. But, yeah, I mean, he wrote in the first person. I convinced him if I could leave it that way and just correct what he wrote because he wanted me to put it in a book format. I'm glad I convinced him of that because he did use differing type of transition words like chiefly and, and reluctantly and things that you don't typically use. And the way he wrote, he painted pictures and was real dramatic in a way of speaking, but, you know, he just took notation. And so it was really important for me, and now I find great solace in, is knowing that the fans are letting me know that, wow, I'm hearing him while I read this. They're hearing his words. You know, I'm yeah. just correcting it, giving it a flow, just... I took the approach of doing syntax and grammar corrections and just there's tons of commas and semicolons and things. Uh, one sentence is a paragraph long, but it doesn't break up the way Peter spoke, and that's what I'm glad for. Yeah, yeah, I read that on, on Amazon. I read that a couple people were not happy with that, but I, I got that. And I think that people need to understand that it, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a lot of people that do love it is because they remember Peter from sightings or they want to hear his voice again. And, you know, uh, you know, the ones that may not, it may be kind of distracting because it's not in a proper book format. It is simply just Peter's words out there for you to read. But, I mean, it, it's been something that others, and including myself, go back and read just because, yeah, you just want to hear his voice again. And, you know, or if there's a theory that you're seeing on a television program or in a, a paranormal news magazine, um, you and you have Peter's version of what that means, you go back and read his version. You know, you don't want to hear it spelled out scientifically or, you know, so. Yeah, that's what I mean. It was just very, it's very, very, very real. It, it's There's nothing contrived about it, and I think that if, people just read it for that, they'll really, really enjoy it. But you're always going to have the naysayers, and you're always going to have people who perhaps are a little jealous or what have you, or people are just hardcore skeptics. Right. Well, yeah, there have been those. You know, there have been those that, um, you know, um, yeah, we're just jealous of Peter's career for whatever reason. I mean, you, you can sensate tell it, you know, and it's just like he was the nicest, greatest guy you could ever be. So unless they're personally profiteering off of something, I mean, why? how could they be that way towards him. I mean, he was just the greatest person in the world. I mean, he never affected anybody else's career. He never was judgmental about anybody else in the field. So that's where you know that he was the genuine thing and that these people really have some other type of hang-up because he was the best. <laughs> Hands down. Yeah. No, was. Now, he was involved in the Sally House. Now, could you just briefly tell us and our listeners, I mean, I've been watching that on site. Uh, do you, do you, are you still in contact with the people from the Sally, Sally House, or 
Yeah, and actually, um, they uh, they have a uh, the mother wrote a really nice dedication for the tribute site when it first came out as well. So when you go in the blog section, you'll see what other paranormal um, you know members of the field, or you know, you'll see them on as cable talents and various things. That uh, yeah, they really got into the field and really became immersed in it in the early '90s because of Peter, and they they write those many things. But Deborah Pickman, the family mom, wrote a great dedication. And especially how Peter remained afterwards with them to really, you know, the cameras are off. You know, most people, there's no need to stick around. You know, Peter stayed with the family just to make sure that they knew uh, what they were dealing with, how to deal with it, make sure it was, you know, something completely resolved. And, and uh, yeah, you know, they they very much appreciated that. You can tell in their writing. And, um, yeah, that, that particular investigation he was fond of as well, you know, not just because it, it's one that easily is recognizable, sticks out, and brought him a, a giant career status on sightings just because it was like a six-part episode. I mean, that, that my wife and I remember tuning every week just to see what played out on it, and um, he was he was particularly fond of it because he did he get the the family to coexist and get them to understand what happened with the activity. Yeah, they had uh, this was in was it in Iowa? Forgive me. Uh, Atchison, Atchison, Kansas. Right, yeah, um, and they moved in there in what, like '92? No, actually, like 1990. I believe I'm not sure if that's the year they moved in or when they started experiencing the activity. I know after it would be after '92 that they um, had the episode actually start to air, because that was in the first seasons of uh, sightings, and it wasn't a pilot episode, you know. So it was it was into the term of the uh, first or second um, uh, series or um, season, and. Um, yeah, they, that was where the father was getting the scratches on the stomach that would appear in front of camera without, you know, with a camera being on him for 15 minutes and him going, okay, it's happening. And, you know, you, you could tell this isn't somebody scratching themselves or doing anything of that type. Peter was getting burned and scratched and shoved. There were flowers in the home that got singed and dolls rearranged. And it was, you know, something that some people would say, oh, wow, that would be interesting or, you know, it's fascinating to watch, but it's got to be just traumatizing for a family, you know, with a newborn. This isn't you bring in a paranormal team and let them just document everything, spend a week and a half in post only to come back and tell you, well, I think it's this and I think it's that. Peter could actually do that, and that's why they knew it was important to have Peter. He can explain it. Yeah, did it? Did he determine it to be a little girl solely, or was it someone else, another spirit that was sort of acting behind her? Um, it, yeah, he felt that it was, uh, uh, Sally was, um, she actually died of pneumonia, but she was a mixed child from a, a, a family, uh, there was a man that was a doctor and, and had a, a servant, and they had a child, but she wasn't well-liked in the neighborhood, and, you know, they let her know it, and that that's what Peter believed brought about the animosity of Sally towards, you know, um, this particular dad that lived in the home, so he was able to recognize that. Uh, you know, move forward accordingly because, yeah, she was shunned from the entire town, and, and uh, he picked up on that. They even found the grave where Sally was buried, and Peter walked them right to it. He walked the crew. He walked everybody. He goes, that's it, that, you know. And that's what always blew away the camera crew and, and the, the sightings archivist, and this is before the Internet. Peter would give specific information. He would be flown into, say, Atchison, Kansas, driven an hour and a half by town car, not even know he was he wasn't given any specific information and he could walk into a location give you names give you circumstances of death 
and there would be somebody in a dusty Dewey Decimal system from sightings on their archive <laughs> team and come up with all the names and everything, and there's no way he could have known this stuff. So, I mean, that's what we watch play out every week, and, you know, weekly he was doing this. So, yeah, they weren't historic locations where everybody knows the deaths and things going on and getting burned and scratched every second. He, I mean, this was very real stuff, and you did hear audibly what he was focusing in on. Yeah, and I remember that with the with the camera the camera crew standing around and and they were like, wait, did he do this? And they were you could tell just by the, how their their voices escalated, and just the expressions on their face that that young man was was it was definitely happening, you know, right then and there, and they couldn't figure it out. And I remember him. Well, I I think he filmed it, didn't they? Because I remember them uh, walking with him to the graveyard. Right, they do, and actually, I. I'm posting in the uh, chat room, the MySpace, where you can go in the blog section. If it's not there, I have it in the video section, but there is a lengthy Sally's House investigation where he actually has the crew there. It's on a night vision. He's holding his hands out. He's like, hey, everybody, get over here. Fill this. And you see the cameraman, like, oh, my God. you know. And those were people from the Sci-Fi Channel and producers. And even in the Ghost Rider investigation, the homeowners let me know, and I remember the episode as well, and that's there, where they had two separate producers at both ends of the home, open hermetically sealed Polaroid cameras, film separately, ask questions, snap the picture, sidebar from the homeowners, and the writing answers would all be on the on the uh, on the Polaroids. And Peter would say like, okay, there's this guy, he's this and that, and then they'd snap a picture, and there it would be, you know. And it's like completely unexplainable, but he, it was all matter of fact to Peter. I mean, he dealt with this his whole life, you know. Yeah, they determined that with the Polaroids. I, I forget now. They they determined that to be a, a, a monk or something, was it? No, the name kept coming up, Mr. Wright, but uh, Peter points two specific places where he believes that there are uh, Native American uh, bodies buried under the home location. And I know there was a, a Paranormal Files Factor Fake with Bill Murphy where he went under the house and went to, you know, find those same two areas in in it's always one of those things where they come right up to where it can be, and then they, they can't dig that part out in the one day that they had to film that episode. And so, But they show the topography. There is something underneath the home, and, and uh, Peter was very specific about where it was. The homeowners had a dog that wouldn't go near that area and, you know, where a vortex was, and it was where they, you know, sensately could fill cold spots and things around. But, yeah, it was always a place Peter could go to in that home. And it's all explored, and, yeah, again, if you go to the MySpace, you can see that early footage. You can see the Sally's House footage and him vocally communicating with Jackie aboard the Queen Mary. And it, it's always, I love just going back and seeing it because they don't replay that show. They haven't done a revamped or revived, you know, version of Sightings. Unexplained Mysteries does the same, and that's on Saturdays now on Bio Channel, and it's starting to pop up during the week. But you'll see Peter at, at Alcatraz, or you'll see him at the... Heartland Ghost Investigation. It's just great to see him and hear him again, and, and certainly see him in action. One, one in a million. You won't get one like that for a long, long time. It's very, right. very genuine. Yeah, you remember or you that. could, but I mean, there's just technology. That there's a lot more where you would just kind of a lot more could get interjected where you go, well, this could be. And I, we tried to explain off what Peter was getting or vocally getting from you know. Um, 18 years ago, and you just couldn't, you know, <laughs> it was like, it, there was no way, or like, you know, he must have looked this up on the internet before he got to that town, nope, there was none of that, so, yeah, he was a real deal, and, yeah. Bill, you remember that with the Polaroids, I forget the, the actual case's name. 
Ghost Rider, yeah. It's a home in Glendale, California. Hello, Dale. Oh, I'm sorry. Our good connection again. Yeah, I do remember that. That was, those pictures were amazing. Absolutely amazing. Right. Fortunately, in I just did a signing with uh, John Hucker and John Monikowski at the, the L.A. Convention Center for Paracon. And just right. before that, you know, had met him on, on certain um, events and, and their own gallery event. And each time, I mean, I've gotten to see those Polaroids in person. When you look at them up close, not, you know, as you're viewing it on TV, it's you just look at this and know there's something to it because it's they're all different. They're all unique. There's dozens and dozens of them, and you just look at these and just go, you know, how do they do that? Now, I mean, I even got chills just looking at them and knowing that, yeah, these were ones Peter actually held and stuff. I mean, for me personally, that was just like a great moment to meet them and, and to look at those. You know, I remember buying a DVD from the, the grocery store, as a matter of fact. This was a, several years ago. Um, oh, it was probably like 2004, 2005. And it was of Peter James with, I can't think of the other guy's name. Oh, Lord. Uh, he used to be on Most Haunted, Derek something or other. Um, oh, Derek Acora. Yeah, that's the Belgrave Hall. I have that posted as well with, with Peter primarily. But, uh, yeah, that was in England at Belgrave Hall. And uh, I found one on VHS is where I got that from, you know, and, and the family, yeah, they showed me the footage that was exclusively Peter's about that. So, I mean, it, it's good to go see that, too, listed there. But that was kind of a hodgepodge of a lot of people on one project, you know, and Peter wasn't that fond of that. Oh, I, I thought that was awesome. I thought that he really... I did, too. Yeah, he, sh- he he shined during that investigation. He really did. He I know, I mean, that, that would be something that, like, it was one of those things that, you know, he he felt like it could have been better, it could have been really, you know, um, focused one person at a time on certain things, but, I mean, he looked great in it, you know, everybody yeah. looked good, but there's some things that he just really looked at, like, no, this just didn't explain it right, or the paranormal right, or whatever, but, you know, that was a sense I got, really, in talking to him about it. Well, I, I loved it. I can't. I have never been able to find that since, and I I can't remember what we moved. So we moved about two times after that, and I can't. I could never find that DVD again. But I thought that was wonderful. I thought that was was one of the the best. That and I that's could another find. example too, where if you know, remember in the kitchen where he he starts saying to the crew, he goes, "You smell that? You it, like?" In, and he's like, "You smell it?" And then one guy's like, "Yeah, ham." He's like, "That's it. That's like she's still cooking the ham, you know." And <laughs> Everybody started smelling the ham in the kitchen and stuff, you know. And, yeah, it was it was good. I really liked that one. I know I did too. It was just one of those ones. He just wanted something. Just you could. He was real particular like that, you know. You could tell he if if he got in there and really, you know, that's one thing that I know too from his best friend telling me that uh, yeah, there were parts of sightings he really wanted to be a part of. Say the Sally's house investigation that were ending up on the editing room floor. So, I mean, they have a lot of that footage now that I hope to see re-released or even never before seen of what Peter really wanted to see, a part of pieces that ended up on the editing room floor. And um, his family does have all that content. So, Yeah, I, I just really, I liked that a lot. All the things that he was involved in that were not televised, I would have, it's just, it's just, uh, hey. I know, Great um, yeah, Luis Gonzalez, he's he's a paranormal researcher. He has um 
one that's oh, it's great to watch every time, and it's Suicide Bridge in Pasadena, but it shows Peter on the bridge with like a crowd there, and it, and there people are filming it, and he's act, actually walking you through an investigation. But you know, after the book was put out, that wasn't one I hadn't seen till then, and it, it was like wow. And then Bridget Amory sent me over five different pieces of Peter really detailing out the ghosts aboard the Queen Mary. I think I told you to check that out, but it's it's at the MySpace. I got it posted and at the Facebook. So either place, it's great to see him at Ghost Fest aboard the Queen Mary in 2006. And a lot of what's being told around the ship now, or the names and things, they're not what Peter found or the room numbers and and peter lays it out no it's this room it's this person it's you know and it's like it's great to watch you know oh, totally new yeah do they yeah. still have the camera just off off the top of my head we used to watch the webcam the queen mary webcam dale and i would watch it and get to i used to see a lot um do they still they don't have the webcam there yeah that's they? been turned off i know it's come back on, turn back off. I don't know if it's a guy doing work every one, once in a while he unplugs it and then he plugs it back in. I don't know what, but yeah, I've noticed it's been off and so other paranormal groups are like, you know, but it was fun to go and just kind of watch it and then you'd yeah. see, you know, some some teenagers sneaking around or whatever, you know, but it's fun to watch and leave open to, you know, see if you catch something. Yeah, remember the, the group that came over, I believe it was Most Haunted Crew, and they came to America. I remember they went to the Whaley House and uh, a couple of of, of other places, excuse me, um, and they went to the Queen Mary, and I remember they went into the pool area, and they um, ended up finding the footsteps that were actually made of salt water and, and right. pretty much from the pool area right into the dressing rooms. Have you ever seen anything like that on the on the Queen or... I've never seen the wet footsteps before, and I've been in the, uh, you know, that area quite a bit. But um, you know, that's not to say that they don't happen. It's I know that's widely reported. I have had the breath over. I was talking to a person that, um, you know, just wanted to meet and have a book signed, and and uh, you know, so there was a couple fans there, and we were in the dressing rooms, and he's leaning up against one of the stalls, and I thought, you know, it was hot and humid that night, and I thought his arm kind of slipped down the side of the the wood on the stall, almost like, you know, when you your arm slides on a leather chair or something. I, I just heard this, uh, so I thought it was, it was the sound of his arm rubbing, and he's in the middle of telling me a sentence, and while he's, he's saying it, he goes, and you just heard that, right? And we all start looking at each other, and we're like, that wasn't you? And it was, he goes, nope, my arm didn't move, that wasn't me, and it was just this, uh, like that. And he's widely reported in the dressing rooms, too. Uh, Mike Loop says his name is Reginald Peel, but he's somebody that, like, yeah, you know, other people call him old grumpy, and it's just this breath or just this partial word that's really low resonating. Um, there's that I actually did here, and then I've had I've been there with uh, several EMF K2 spikes in an area that doesn't have any electricity going, baseline readings all the way around, and just in the middle of the room, you could talk the temperature up and down. Like, can you bring these numbers up or down? And, uh, yeah, I've, I've witnessed that as well. So I've witnessed a lot of things. And uh, I actually had Peter's, two of Peter's investigative leather jackets were given to me last year on my birthday. And uh, one was given to my daughter and one to me. And, I mean, that was a high honor, too, from his, his best friend. So we took them to the ship to meet with fans. We had out a, a copy of Peter's book, and there were members of L.A. Paranormal, Mike Loop, and, and some others that we just did a circle session. It was 10 of us, and uh, 
Mike Loop at one point, you know, after about a half hour and we're just sitting there talking, he just kind of looks up and he's a little clammy. He's just like, Peter, is that you? And suddenly ghost radar, we had our combined millimeters all sitting out, um, K2, ZMS, everything just started to come alive and start Christmas treeing, and then the ghost radar said himself. And it just went on from there for about 10 minutes. That's over at the Mike Loops Investigations, I believe, dot, dot .net. Um, well, anyways, Google and Mike Loop and Investigations, it should come up. But he has the session there where it's just somebody had a pink stone in the middle they use as a trigger object. It, it ghost Radar came up saying stone. Mike said, you know, did you know John Temporelli's here with me? And it said a cross, and I was sitting across from him. We were all sitting in a circle. It said circle. It just, there were so many case-specific things to Peter being there, and various other blips came up on the ghost radar, and then Mike's like, Jackie, is that, are you here with Peter too? And then, um, you know, at one point it said proper, and we're like, wait a minute, should we be videotaping this? And, you know, that's what proper meant. It'd be like something Peter would say is, hey, do this properly if you're going to do this at all. So suddenly, you know, Mike has this girl, Victoria, get out, you know, a video camera and start videotaping everything. It, that was, like, probably the craziest, wildest thing I'd seen there aboard the ship. Wow. That, that's unbelievable. That's incredible. Yeah, it, and there was also, with Chip Coffee, we were doing a darkness radio event, and he had our daughter, Sophia, call out to Jackie in the pool area for four capacity tour groups that were coming through, and on the third tour group, Stacy Jones goes cop. She starts up an ovulus device, and so Peter, I mean, uh, Chip's like, you know, there was so many people in there. I, I don't know how a ghost could even come through. We were all in the upper tiers, the lower tiers. People had, you know, shopping bags, these plastic bags rattling, and then people were turning on and off cameras. You'd hear all the blips and coughs and things. And but the ovulus device, when she said, you know, Jackie, do you know where Peter is? Is he with you? And then the ovulus said. Peter, Peter, upper, stairs, top, safe, delayed, you know, and this went on, you know, and that, he, Chip Coffee's eyebrows even went up like, whoa, you know, and it mentioned Peter's name, you know, the location he was, but if the word delayed, I didn't quite get that, but, you know, um, because we hadn't heard anything from Peter at that time, and people thought that if, you know, Peter's there, he would be able to come back and pass on a message, if anybody would, he could, but, you know, maybe there's sort of like where you're used to walking across the room, you know, t you know, 10 feet, you know, you can do it in a straight line. But maybe in that transition into death, even for him, it's like getting, you know, his sea legs again. Walking that same 10 feet across, you're now in 50-foot swells, it's harder to do, and you have to sort of get your balance or maybe get his vocal cords. But, you know, VVPs... I, I'm not the only one with them. Other people have got EVPs in the in the pool area too. Jerry Reynolds, who's a assistant tour host aboard the Queen Mary, he's posted some great ones that certainly sound like Peter as well. Where it's no one but him in the pool area of the ship at two in the morning, and uh, you know I, I believe he's getting that voice now, or he's getting you know that comfort. Um, uh, Peter's best friend that lived across the courtyard from him for 35 years was instrumental in getting Peter to the hospital at the end for medication adjustments. Um, he couldn't bear the fact of somebody else purchasing his residence, so he bought Peter's place and, and sold his and made an exchange with the uh, landlord. And ever since he's been in there, there have been lights going off and on in the bathroom, footsteps in the hall, and it's usually when he just kind of broadcasts out to Peter, like, hey, Peter, just thinking about you lights start going on and off, and then he has an, another person that, that's a friend that uh, lives out in Texas, and 
and uh, works for somebody with a stock car that comes out to Pomona. So he lets him stay down a hallway in a guest room. And during the night, he'll poke his head out, look down the hall, and they'll hear something actually being dragged in the living room and things being moved around. So I think Peter is very much here, um, part of his residence, part of the ship. And if anybody could move around, I think it'd be Peter James. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes it it does take a while for them to be able to manipulate that side of things and also, you know, for us to be able to recognize and hear it, you know. Right. My my grandmother came to me the night that she died, and I I couldn't hear her, and I couldn't uh, I knew somebody was there, but I didn't get that it was her. Um, so sometimes it's just it, it's kind of a combination of things, but that that makes me feel better that you know he's he's passed on and he's um he's in a place that makes him happy because he really really was a wonderful guy, and you're a great friend, and and I wish I had friends like you. Believe me. Um, the name of the book is Heaven, Can You Hear Me? If you go to the MySpace tribute page, which is www.myspace.com forward slash Peter James Live, I'm sorry, Peter James Lives.com, you can find all this information by the book. It's a wonderful book. You'll love it. You won't regret it. Go to the, the MySpace page. Right, and also, too, I mean, not just at the MySpace, it's offered Amazon France, Amazon UK, Amazon Australia, um, Barnes & Noble, all the Borders locations. This is a a huge one. Um, Just in the last month, they picked up the book and have it in all the locations, and that was huge, and I know for Peter, too, to have that happen. So there's various discounts. I like to see his fans get it the lowest price possible. When the uh, publisher lets me know that it's, like, been marked down to 45% off, 40% off, I like to post that real-time in the blog section so everybody can find it at the lowest possible price because I know that's what Peter would want for his fans. Well, I would want people to get the autographed copy because that's better. <laughs> that's a better oh, thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm more like, I don't know why they'd want that, but it, I'm glad to do that for anybody if they want it. I still okay. have it less than the – the cover price is 25 I do it for 22 and, um, yeah, I'm not making a lot on that, but I like to see any version of it that, you know, the family's that doing, you know, what Peter wanted and intended and that, um, you know, offer the discount the way Peter would have wanted it, and that includes shipping and everything. I just bag it up and send it out to you. Great. <laughs> so. right. John, you're a wonderful guest. I hope sometime you'll come back again, bring more EVPs. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. On behalf of Peter's family, his friends, and I know Peter himself and and is, not would be, but is, um, you know, extremely grateful as well for all your support. And, and, uh, you know, thanks for letting me do the show and talking about Peter. I'd come back anytime. Thank you so much. I I really hold you to that. Yeah, great talking to you, Dale. It was great, John. Thank you very much. All right, thanks. Thanks a lot. All right, we'll be chatting with you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a good night, everybody. Good night.